Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello everyone, good evening, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are. Just got to put the warning out, tonight is going to be a very sex-orientated show. I didn't plan it that way, but it's just worked out that way. As all the best sex shows do, it just happened organically. Just letting you know. So tonight's recommended drink, ladies and gentlemen, is a cock-sucking cowboy. Tonight's recommended snack, the English delicacy known as a spotted dick. Thank you for joining us. Or should I say, thank you for joining us, ladies. Skull! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this Monday night edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you once again. Pleasure. (laughs) Hope you had a lovely weekend. I certainly have. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for for coming around. Thank you for dropping in. Uh, Like I said, tonight, (laughs) native California in the chat. Sex theme, that's unusual for you. But no sex robots today, you'll be pleased to know. Just just human beings. Just the allure of, of flesh. That's what we're dealing with today. Like I said, I didn't plan it this way. This is just the way it's happened. So I've got one story, then two stories, then three stories, then four stories. I'm like, hang on, this is all sex stuff. But hey, sometimes you just got to roll with it. Sometimes you just got to go. Um, the, last, the last couple of weeks, the last few shows have been a little bit serious from time to time. You know, we've been talking about shit like censorship and big tech. We've been talking about political lies and I've been getting a little hot under the collar, you might say. I've been getting a little testy. <laughs> little testies from time to time. Um, I've been getting a little hard up, a little stiff about certain certain issues. So I think today, uh, you know, since we are dealing with a very sex-themed show, it might be a good opportunity for everybody just to have a nice release from all of the serious stuff, just for one day. Uh, then we'll be back to um, monitoring how the media, how big tech, and how governments are fucking you in the ass tomorrow. But that, ironically, won't be a sex-themed show. That's more like domineering, domination, BDSM, whatever you want to call it. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to tell me about your sex theme show, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. I just want to make a little quick announcement, by the way. Uh, A couple of people have asked, so this is probably not going to be of interest to like 99% of you, but I am going to, I think over the next week or so, maybe we'll see how we go. Um, I might do a couple of like late night game streams of just like playing games with other people. So, because a couple of people have asked me to do it. Um, I don't know why, but you know, like I, I, I very, very rarely get time to just sit down and like play a video game. I, I just maybe in a couple of hours a week, I have time to do that. And it's good just to like relax and stuff. So, but if I do do a stream like that, I will put like in the title, you know, playing video games or gaming or something, just so you know, it's not going to be 
the usual thing and it won't be like at the usual time it won't be 6 p.m monday through wednesday it'll be like late night or on off days or something so um if you want to if you want to get in on that if you want to play something um i just got call of duty modern warfare and i haven't i haven't even had a chance to play it yet it's just sitting here staring at me so um if you want to shoot me in the face (laughs) then uh, i don't know dm me or something and we'll see if we can hook that up and you can shoot boogie bumper in the face and that'll be fun for everybody i think so let me know how you go with that but yeah i'll put it in the title or something if i end up doing that so thank you for joining us uh very sex related show tonight uh can i just give a a little i don't know what's the etiquette here i've just been informed in the chat while the show was about to kick off that today is president's day apparently president's day so what happens what happens on president's day like this, this is a genuine question i know a little bit about the united states i follow the united states politics pretty closely i know a little bit about the, you know the history of the place i've done a little bit of reading on it what is president's day for <laughs> You know, so for Christmas, for example, you're celebrating uh, the birth of Christ. For Easter, you're, cele- you're celebrating the death of Christ. Um, you know, Anzac Day here, where it's it's like uh, you know a time to remember the Anzacs of World War One. Oh, for- sorry, I didn't have the music on. Thank you for the Diamond Gypsy. Where did you steal the Diamond Gypsy? So what do you, what is President's Day for? Is President's Day so everybody can sit around and remember how they've been getting screwed for the last 200 years by all the presidents? <laughs> like, what what is it for? Happy President's Day, everyone. Like, uh, is do people exchange gifts? Do they do their taxes? What the hell goes on on President's Day? People in the chat are saying nothing. The banks are closed. There's no postal delivery. The postman doesn't show up on President's Day. That's a fucking outrage. <laughs> <clears throat> Pardon me. Oh, so it's like a um, it's like a public service holiday then. So do do the private people like so if you're in in the private sector, do you still have to go to work? <clears throat> Trump Day. They'll rename it Trump Day. You can't cash your goddamn check. You still have checks over there. Wow, I thought we were stuck in the seventies, man. And you have to pay for childcare anyway. JJ Stoner. If that's JJ, if if JJ in the Periscope chat is JJ Stoner, I'm not sure if it is or not, but if it is JJ Stoner, follow JJ Stoner. JJ Stoner does a show. That's all I know. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> no post. Free day off. Bankers, federal workers, postal delivery. Okay, there you go. So, happy President's Day, you lazy sons of bitches. How about that? Does that work? I don't know. Happy President's Day, you government employee sponges. Fuck you. Happy President's Day. Ha- happy effing President's Day, says Ben. There you go. But people have lost their boogers. It must have been a month. It must have been a month. So thank you, Ben, for resubscribing. Ring the bell wink, wink. and get your cheese, man. Thank you for the sub, Kimmy. Ring your bell and get your cheese. Hi-ho, it's off to work we go. All right, so let's let's let us let's do some work here, shall we? Let's get into our work on this President's Bank holiday. It's, it's George. Is it George Washington's birthday? Really? I had no idea. There, there you go. Why don't we call it Washington's birthday then? <laughs> it's not JJ Stoner, but he's been stoned before, so that's close enough. Give him a follow anyway. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Let's get into our work, shall we? Let's do what we do here 
on the Daily Boogie. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't worry, we'll get to Christian Amanpour in a few moments. But first, I have to bring you this. Earth-shattering, bone-chilling news, ladies and gentlemen. The kind of news that you never want to read. The kind of news that sends the fear of God into every horny individual who has ever graced his green earth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to tell you, oral sex is driving up rates of cancer. Oh, honey, you're just so beautiful. You know, I just want to get new. I'm sorry, baby. We can't do that anymore. You want to live, don't you? Don't you want to live? Don't you want to survive? No man is ever going to say that, (laughs) by the way. Oh, honey. But before you take my pants down, you just should, we, should you just realise that apparently uh, this is going to give you a higher chance of catching cancer of the mouth? Honey, honey, before we do that kind of thing, you know, before you uh, blow me in the car, uh, you should understand that the Surgeon General has recently come out and said that there are a number of studies that say that oral sex is leading to higher rates of cancer. That's never going to happen. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> and instead it'll, it, instead it'll be... You know, the girl saying, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Doesn't that lead to cancer? <laughs> I've never heard anything like that. That's, <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Were you reading that fake news again, huh? Come on, let's do this. <laughs> Oral sex is triggering a surge in cases of cancer. Experts are warning. I bet these experts have never had a blowjob. <laughs> That's the only reason that they would say shit like this. A surge in cancer? From again, analyze that sentence. Tell me if you think that this has any validity whatsoever. Oral sex is triggering a surge in cancer. Like cancer was like at a certain level for so long, but apparently now everybody's like everybody's eating pussy and sucking dick, and cancer has just gone through the roof. So there was a surge in oral sex apparently, and that has now led to a surge in cancer. And my question is, if there's been a surge in oral sex, why the fuck haven't I seen it? Why haven't I seen any of this surge, huh? I want cancer. I haven't had a, I haven't had a, I haven't had an oral sex cancer in months. Come on. There's growing evidence that an increasing proportion of cancer is caused by human papillomavirus. Human papillomavirus? Human papillomavirus? <clears throat> Infection in the mouth, which is spread by oral sex, apparently. Around one in four mouth cancers and one in three throat cancers are HPV-related, but in younger patients, most throat cancers are now HPV-related. Anna Middleton, leading dental hygienist and founder of London Hygienist, says this isn't something to just pretend isn't happening. I dis- I tend to disagree. In fact, I demand that everybody disagrees. There are stark facts out there about the rise of mouth cancer, especially in young people caused by HPV. People need to be aware when engaging in sexual activity and take the right precautions. HPV is passed between people through skin-to-skin contact and sexual contact, and you do not need to have penetrative sex to catch, catch HPV. They just don't want you to have any fun, do they? HPV has no symptoms, so you may not know you have it, and it is incredibly common. Well, if nobody knows that they have it and nobody has any symptoms, then what's the difference? Continue the dick sucking. 
but I might have a virus. Are there any symptoms? No. Then who cares? Let's do this. Come on. My mum's going to be home any minute now. We're running out of time. For women, HPV testing is part of cervical screening, but there is no blood test for HPV. So if you are worried, make sure you consult your GP for medical advice. If you are worried about oral cancer, here Anna shares the warning signs and things to watch out for, ladies and gentlemen. So this is what you need to be looking out for. Patches on your tongue, ulcers that don't heal, a swelling in your mouth. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, mm. I feel a swelling in my mouth. <laughs> why, why is it whenever, you know, like I'm, a, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm in my mid thirties. I've been working for a long time. I've, I bought a house in my early twenties. You know, we talk about very serious topics. We, we discuss, you know, the minutiae of political philosophy and political theory. Uh, we dive deep into censorship and tech and what that means for society at large. But if you get me on the topic of oral sex causing cancer, all of a sudden I turn into a fucking 15-year-old. I don't know, figure it out. I, I'm, I bet I'm not the only one either. Well, you see here, if we analyse this axiom through the lens of Aristotelian logic and deductive reasoning, you will find that, wait, did they say there's a swelling in your mouth? <laughs> nice. Yep. Uh, a pain when swallowing, well, it only hurts the first time, but then you kind of get used to it. A lump in your throat, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, it's going deep. <laughs> Sorry. I'm terribly sorry. I am when it when it gets down to it, I'm a very very immature person. <laughs> That's what she said. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> Somebody in the chat. That's what she said. It took it, it took surprisingly long for that line to come out. But thank you very much. So if you know you have one of the associated risk factors and have a sore in your mouth that won't heal, a sensation of something in your throat mm-hmm, that won't go away, <laughs> fevers or night sweats, weight loss, then seek medical advice. It is important that there you go. You can suck dick to get thinner. <laughs> That's the upside. <laughs> Fat ladies, <laughs> give more blowjobs. You'll lose weight. You'll also get cancer, but you'll lose weight. That's the main thing. Catching cancer in the initial stages means you have the best possible chance of successful treatment. Um, and here's somebody who was on the X Factor in the UK, I think, talking about how she got uh, dick-sucking cancer. About this on the show before, that I contracted um, HPV. And, you know, when, when we talk about these subjects, we do predominantly think of women, but like you said, it affects men as well. And mm. lots of men are, are carrying HPV without even knowing because it's not something you can easily... I don't even think you can diagnose it, actually. It's a, well, again, if, if you don't know and there are no symptoms, it's like tree falling in the woods shit, right? If, if, you, have a, if you have a disease and there are no symptoms and you don't know that you have it, do you really have it? Yeah, I don't. I don't see any reason to stop the oral sex at this point. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I am a male, so they could come out and say that oral sex is causing um, instant death in fifty percent of the population. 
like as soon as a pair of lips attach themselves to your to your rudy bits, fifty uh, percent of you will die at that very moment. And I'll still say, yeah, pretty good odds. I think most men will say, yeah, I'm taking those odds. Because once we wipe out all of the 50 percenters, then there'll be twice as many dick suckers. <laughs> no, there's, there's no um, symptoms. So, yeah. And there's 80 you know, How did you know you had it? Well, actually, the person who gave it to me decided to tell me that they had contracted it after we um, had had a relationship together. And so how then did I they went and got find my, out? Well, that, that person found out because a, a lot of the people he had had relationships with had then come back okay. to him saying... I uh, Billionaire Love in the chat said, mid-30s, bought house in 20s. Nice. Yeah, early 20s. Something for us to learn. I'm mid-30s too. Well, it depends on what you want. So I was I was working, you know, two jobs seven days a week when I was 17 years old to do that kind of thing. While everybody else was out there getting uh, blowjob cancer, <laughs> I missed out. I missed out on most of the blowjob cancer because I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I've got to go to work. Can't come out and party. Can't go to the club. Got work tomorrow. So I managed to buy a house, yeah, fair enough, but I, unfortunately I didn't get exposed to dick-sucking cancer. So, you know, there's there's downsides to everything. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Oral sex is driving up rates of cancer and not a single fuck was given. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think it's time because it's been a while since we checked in. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, on this show a couple of weeks ago, uh, we well, it was maybe about a month ago now. We broke from the pack. We separated ourselves from the flock, from the herd, to do the right thing. Sometimes it's hard to do the right thing. You've got to be brave to do the right thing, right? And you know, we just had to make a choice here on the Daily Boogie program to break away from the herd and do what we think is right. So, as you know, we officially endorsed John McAfee for president in 2020. And you know what? With each day, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to this guy. With each day, I feel like that he's warming up to the role. And I don't care what polls say, because pollsters are going to say a whole bunch of stuff. But pollsters are agenda-driven. This is probably the only podcast talking about the 2020 presidential campaign that is not agenda-driven at all. And this is why you should get all your news from foreigners. <laughs> just this one. Just come to this for, just show. Just share this show out. Say, listen to this guy. Speaking of sharing the show out, I just want to give a shout out, tip of the hat to our friend, our bro, Stefan Sears, my bromosexual, my bromo sapien, who's been sharing the show out on Facebook recently and copping heat from his friends for doing so, who ask him questions like, why the hell would I listen to this guy? Who gives a fuck what this guy thinks? But Stefan still shares it out. So thank you, Steph, for doing it. Thank you for venturing into the badlands, the wildlands, the, the no man's land of Facebook, where little boogies dare not tread, lest they contract blowjob cancer. And I'm, I'm so happy because since we opened up with the blowjob cancer story, I saw the, uh, the audience drop by like 40%. So I'm fucking, I'm wrapped about that. <laughs> I'm going to open every show talking about blowjobs now. So, as you know, a few weeks ago, we endorsed, we officially endorsed John McAfee because, like I said, I think it's the right thing to do. I think he is the guy. He's the candidate. He's our guy. He represents all of the values that we hold dear on the Daily Boogie program, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> people talk about people talk about diversity and tolerance and inclusion. They're on the Democrat side. 
People talk about low taxes and law and order. They're on the Republican side. But here, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about freedom, how much we love freedom. We talk about individual liberty and freedom and not giving a fuck and, of course, getting cancer from blowjobs. That's what we talk about. And sex robots. Let's not forget about the sex robots. So nobody embodies this value system better, I think, in the 2020 presidential race than John McAfee. So, of course, it was a very easy decision to throw the weight of this worldwide famous podcast behind this great man. So <clears throat> we need to do a little bit of an update. I'm, I'm drinking, just the off track, I'm drinking bourbon and Coke tonight, Jack Daniels and Coke from a can, the premix shit. Why, why is the syrupy, why is the Coke in the premixed bourbon and Coke so much thicker and syrupier than regular Coke? <clears throat> giving me that throat coating. <coughs> ah. It's giving me that icky throat coating. You know what I'm talking about. Since we just did the blowjob cancer story. Getting that sensation in my throat. It's no good. I Just to let you know, I got my first blowjob about uh, three weeks ago and I still can't get the taste out of my mouth. Uh, so let's, let's check in with John McAfee. We've got a couple of things to go over here, ladies and gentlemen. You're on the Daily Boogie podcast. Uh, John McAfee, first of all, he released this video a couple of weeks ago. Libertarian 2020 presidential candidate John McAfee confesses to cannibalism. Let's have a look. Oh, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Unburden yourself, my child. It began in 1985. I was captured by the Yonamamo tribe. Of <laughs> He's a fucking freak. If he wasn't if he wasn't doing <laughs> if he wasn't doing this, if he wasn't do, in another life he could be like a late night radio host, couldn't he with that voice? It was in 1963 I was captured by the such and such tribe. He's got a hell of a voice, the voice of a leader. Doesn't have the kind of voice that sounds like it's an old guy straining on the toilet. Sounds like an old guy who's been eating Metamucil in his quarter pounders and he's sitting and on his toilet cheese, all man. morning. Can't pinch a loaf. Doesn't sound like that. Doesn't sound like that whiny bitch, Pete. Mayor Pete. Doesn't sound like that at all. He sounds very cool, calm, and collected. The voice of a leader. Doesn't sound like he can't do a shit in the morning. Of the upper... Amazon Basin of Brazil and forced to eat uh, human flesh. <laughs> I cannot describe for you the intense uh, thrill and uh, joy and, and pleasure of, of the act. It was uh, beyond description. Yeah. I mean, I have taken every drug in the fucking world. <laughs> God, I wish you would win. I know it's never going to happen. Like, Dave, don't be sick. I know that he's not going to win. I know that he's never going to be president. I know. But I have to tell myself that there's a possibility. I have to tell myself that there's a chance that he can win. Because the, it makes the world a so much better place. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even lying. The idea that John McAfee could run and win the presidency makes me, it fills my heart with joy. 
far more than anybody else. <laughs> I know it's I know it's never going to happen. But just the idea of it happening is enough to send me to sleep with a big fat smile on my face. I can't get enough. <laughs> Let's go back. Hang on. We're missing half the story here. The intense uh, thrill. The intense uh, thrill of eating human flesh. Pleasure of, of the act. It was uh, beyond description. I, He's really going for that Christian vote, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, I have taken every drug in the fucking world, Father, and uh, nothing compared to this. When I was released uh, a year later, I began to look at everyone as food. Uh, Old women, young children, married couples, uh, the women uh, (laughs) that I dated. I I began to kidnap people and eat their brain. (laughs) I'm just just like, why, John? (laughs) Why are you doing this? I don't even I don't even know if there is a why. Uh TC in a chat, wasn't he very good friends with Epstein? I don't know. I don't know. That's probably one of those things um where people say Trump was really good friends with Epstein because he had his photo taken with him. I don't know if he was a good friend or not. Epstein's the kind of character who made it his part of his business plan was being in the same place at the same time as the world's richest and fam- riches, the rich and famous and the movers and shakers. You know what I mean? So he's had his picture taken with probably just about anyone. I haven't seen anything to do with Epstein and John McAfee. I'm not saying it's out there, but it probably wouldn't surprise me. You know, being John McAfee being who he is and who he was, you know, sort of back in the uh, 90s. So it wouldn't surprise me. But then again, you know, this guy went to a lot of parties, uh, Epstein, went to a lot of parties with a lot of the um, big swinging dicks of the world and had his picture taken with pretty much all of them. So, you know, it is what it is. While still alive, I, I, I started out of compassion by sedating. I started out of compassion. Uh, them. But those drugs of sedation got into my own body and interfered with the, the, uh, the bliss of... Eating uh, human brains, and <laughs> so I, I stopped sedating them, and would uh, tape their mouths uh, shut so that people could not hear them while I ate their living brains. But but this is not the confession, Father. The true. <laughs> See if if. This could be a thing. He could be doing this satirically, but he he might have actually done it. And if he if it actually comes out that he did in fact um, tape women's mouths shut after he kidnapped them to eat their brains, I would I probably wouldn't be surprised. I'd probably go, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I'd still, and if I could, I would still endorse him <laughs> at that point. I'd be like, well, it's probably still a lot better than half of the other politicians running around. Vision and I. At least he's honest. Isn't that what we all want in politics, huh? Honesty? A little bit of principles, a little bit of values. At least this guy tells the fucking truth, goddammit. Yes, I, I I kidnapped and ate women's brains. I'm like, bravo. He's brave. Ooh, I regret to have to say this is the children. The children. Yes, the, uh, the children. 
And Father, I quite frankly do not know where to begin. To begin. Come back, my son. You must receive your penance. My son. There you go. A nice little well-produced video from the John McAfee 2020 campaign team, ladies and gentlemen. McAfee America, great again. Uh, we've got more. This is McAfee and his lovely wife, the former prostitute, uh, at their Valentine's Day dinner. You see, because he cares about the little guy. He cares about the little guy. He fell in love with a prostitute and ended up marrying her. It's a rags to riches story. It's a true. It's a true love. It's an American story, ladies and gentlemen. True love. How about you kiss me? He always dresses like a Canadian logger, doesn't he? A lumberjack. Or a, tr- or a trucker. An ice road trucker. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? True love, ladies and gentlemen. Gypsy's like, what the fuck is this shit, Bookie? <laughs> this is your next president. Show some goddamn respect on President's Day. Uh, and this one is for men only, apparently. So I don't know, ladies, what you want to do for the next couple of minutes. Why do you need manicures? It's simple, really. Fundamental religious types need not watch. So like I said, he's really courting the Christian vote of late, which again makes me very excited. Manicures. Why do we get them? (laughs) Well, uh, I get one uh, uh, every fucking week and have for 55 years. Why? Because when you meet a woman at a bar or wherever, the first thing they look at is your face. Are you a handsome uh, mofo? Uh, secondly, uh, do you have the seductive charisma necessary to uh, get this woman into bed? But far more important, they look at your goddamn hands. They look at your hands and your fingernails. Because if, if you've got that dirt underneath those fingernails there, uh, you know what that means? If you, a barman once told me this, a very uh, observant barman who was very good at his job. He was like a cocktail waiter, right? So he would like do all the mixology and show and throw and shit around and stuff. Guy was a superstar. And he said the first thing he looks at um, when customers come in is their fingernails. Because if you've got dirt underneath your fingernails, it means you're picking your nose and you're scratching your ass a lot. <laughs> so with those people, he's just like, just put the money on the counter. I'll take care of it. doesn't take it directly from them. <laughs> Uh, you got grease and grit under your fingernails. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> not only are you not going to be invited inside, uh, you're not even going to get to touch. Fact of life. You're not even going to. You're not going to be invited inside. You're not even going to get to touch. <laughs> Solitary confinement says because he killed his neighbour. That's why. That's why. Yeah, but you know, which politician hasn't killed somebody at this point? Let's be honest here. At least it was the neighbor was probably doing Rand Paul shit, you know, like mowing the lawn, annoying people with making too much noise on a Sunday. Probably had it coming. <laughs> Let's be honest. Allegedly. Allegedly. Ain't rocket science. Please, God, wake up, uh, my fellow brothers. Brothers. Uh, but, Pennycake. Hey, brother. 
pedicures. That's the issue. Why do men get fucking pedicures? I get one every goddamn week. Why? Because if you get manicures uh, frequently, you're going to fuck ten times as many as everybody else. And very <laughs> soon you will meet a woman. Did you hear that, guys? That's the secret. The future president has given you the secret. If you get manicures once a week, you will fuck 10 times as many girls as everybody else. I didn't even know. I had no idea. I've always worked in like manual labor jobs. So you can tell by looking at my hands, they're, they're workers' hands. You know what I mean? There's a lot of cuts and scrapes on there. There's skin missing off the knuckles all the time, right? They, you can tell they've been out in the sun for a long time. So that's why I always wear uh, pure white velvet gloves whenever I go out courting. But yeah, apparently, manicure once a week, fix that shit right up. You have to beat them off with a stick. Who is into fisting? Fisting, yes. Uh, vaginal? I haven't watched. <laughs> that one caught me off guard because I haven't pre-watched this. <laughs> He's giving you all the tips here. He's giving you everything you need to know. I, I, If I were you, I'd be taking out a pen and pad at this point and taking down fucking notes. <laughs> let's, play, let's play it again. And very soon you will meet a woman who is into fisting. 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 Vaginal? <laughs> or... Anal gives a shit. <laughs> he has to he has to he has to give you the motion like and then so that's vaginal goes up to the wrist, but then anal goes up to the elbow, just so you know. <laughs> it's all fisting. And like every other fucking sexual act uh, uh, with the same person. It gets boring very fucking quickly. The fisting gets boring very quickly. So when that woman says... Uh, Common knowledge. <laughs> uh, here's what's next. Uh, and you have to show your feet. Uh, and they are not buffed and manicured. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry to say... Uh, you're going to miss there out. There won't be a next... So, if you want there to be a next after the anal fisting, then you have to get a pedicure. See, this, this kind of advice, this is what's lacking in politics, I think. Usable, realistic, day-to-day -day leadership. That's what we haven't had in politics for such a long time. People talk about, you know, politicians want to talk about the big items, the big ticket items. They want to talk about the big issues. How are we going to solve poverty? How are we going to solve racism? How are we going to avoid World War Three? How are we going to wipe out poverty? How are we going to how are we going to change climate change? How are we going to do all of these? Nobody's talking about what happens after fisting. Nobody, except John McAfee. Nobody except John McAfee.
is talking about what happens after fisting. I think it's a breath of fucking. I think it's a breath of fresh air, don't you? This is the kind of shit we need. It's the kind of shit we want. Manicures once a week. Got it. Thank you. You'll you'll get to you'll get to enjoy fisting if you get a manicure once a week. I had no idea. Thank you, Mr. President. My brothers. Brothers. Get yourself manicured every fucking week. And uh, once you have uh, transitioned into real uh, fucking sex, uh, <laughs> get yourself pedicured as well. And thank you, my brothers, for listening. You're, most, you're more than welcome. Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen, the future president of the United States of America giving you realistic, workable solutions for everyday life that everybody should know. Ladies and gentlemen, McAfee America great again. John McAfee, how good is that? How good is that? You don't get that shit every day. No one else is talking about these issues except this guy. Utterly fantastic. And people still have the audacity to ask, why did the Daily Boogie podcast endorse this man? (laughs) Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious? Come on now. TC says, is your wife listening? No, she stopped listening to me years ago. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> she stopped giving a she stopped listening to me 10 years ago. Don't worry about it. See, and now we give you the flip side. From one of our favorite publications, Salon, ladies and gentlemen. They still can't meme. Low class. Donald Trump and the Wasps. Reckoning with vulgarity, snobbery, and the presidency. See, they think Donald Trump is vulgar. They obviously haven't listened to John McAfee. (laughs) They should. Isn't that funny? They'd probably laugh at what John McAfee has to say and not have any any problem with it whatsoever, and rightfully so. But then they'll say that uh, that Donald Trump is vulgar, which is interesting, isn't it? Trump is technically at least part wasp. Is wasp white Anglo-Saxon Protestant? Is that... Am I correct in that? But he's clearly deficient in several crucial areas of our shared culture. Try, just try to find a parody of a pair of wasps more entertaining than Thurston and Lovey Howl of Gilligan's Island. A nice topical reference to open us up. Played by Jim Backus, who was of Lebanese descent, and Leb- uh, Natalie Schaefer, who was Jewish. So isn't that some kind of, shouldn't we only have wasps playing wasps? Thurston and Lovey behave the way that people like to believe, and sometimes they're right. That real wasps do. The Howls, possessors of fathomless inherited wealth, are duplicitous snobs who don't do any work. Some of the show's best lines nod to Thurston's blue-blooded republicanism. When Lovey compliments him for being democratic, he hears an uppercase D and snips at her, Watch your language. This is obviously a very insightful piece. Uh, This is the author. If you had asked me about my background before Trump moved into the White House, I would have led with my father's Syrian side. My long-legged, button-nosed maternal grandmother must have puzzled at the looks of me, short and with eyes and nostrils for days. I saw my wasp side as ethnically neutral. (laughs) See, this this is where we start getting into this mind cancer of that one particular group and one particular people or one particular culture essentially doesn't really exist. This shit is everywhere, by the way. 
So my WASP side, the white Anglo-Saxon side of this guy's heritage is ethnically neutral. What does ethnically neutral even mean? What does that mean? Are you Swedish? <laughs> Are you Swiss? You must be Swiss then. White bread, this is this is the author, white bread that couldn't hold its own against all the more interesting loaves out there. My culture is boring. My culture is bland. My culture is neutral. I don't even talk about the white Anglo-Saxon history in my family. It's just so disgusting and uninteresting. It's not colorful enough. It's not fun enough. It's not different and strange enough. I'd rather pretend like it's just neutral and doesn't exist. <laughs> and and people have the audacity to ask why the Democrats are struggling with white middle-class voters, huh? Figure that one out. Doesn't everybody feel this way? I get why no one is standing on a chair and claiming WASP as a cultural identity. Wasps went out in the mid-1900s. Their markers, repressed colours, repressed emotions, swept aside in a cyclone of unkept hair and pot smoke. Make no mistake, I'm as glad as anyone that wasps got the cultural heave-ho. They'd been on top for far too long and the whole snob thing to answer for. But last year, I had some strangely gratifying eureka moments as I read Tad Friend's Cheerful Money, Me, My Family and The Last Days of Wasp Splendor. <clears throat> I recognised it in the window dressing in the window dressing of my childhood. Welsh rarebit, Beatrix Potter, grandfather clocks and cocktail shakers brimming with gin. Sounds like heaven to me. Yes, indeed, these were my people much more so than my Syrian side. After my mother and father divorced, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> when I was two, I lived primarily with her, our small house accommodating a confessed, a condensed version of wasp splendor. It was only after my mother died in 2010 <clears throat> and I, her only child, inherited a squadron of antique end tables, which she told me on her deathbed I wasn't allowed to sell, that I realised I knew of no other person my age who had grown up in a home that resembled the set of Leave It to Beaver. Nobody else. Donald Trump doesn't live in a home of that resembles the set of Leave It to Beaver. What a fucking revelation. Like the Howes, Trump is a Republican who inherited wealth and enjoys shiny things, his wives, his Fifth Avenue pile, and he delights in showing them off. This is how this is how the Howes, that's quite difficult to say, funnily enough. This is how the Howes would fall in a true life wasp sniff test. People with old money think it's poor form to flaunt it. And when I was a kid and behaved badly, my mother would accuse me of acting spoiled, which now only do I appreciate meant something meant like someone with a shamefully conspicuous amount of loot. Why does all of these people who have these these kind of retrograde, backlashy kind of reactionary opinions that they just spew out onto copy, right? And it's always about... Uh, you know, Trump, he's, he's so boorish, he's vulgar, this wasp culture, I hate it so much. Oh, the tables, oh, the decor, the cocktail glasses bringing with Jim, oh, they're all so snobby and stuff. Why does it always seem to come back to something in their childhood, in their lifetime, in their psyche? So what they see, like, out in the world, it... it reacts retrospectively to what they saw growing up and it makes them angry. It makes them confused. It fills them with pain. Like they have to relive it again. 
So broken home, felt ashamed, had a hard upbringing. Apparently the mum, you know, was quite the disciplinarian. So when they go out into the world and they get these jobs writing copy, then when they recognise little indicators out there in the world, which have nothing to do with them, all of this stuff starts coming out. It's like every single article is an appointment at the therapist, right? It's like every single article, they're pouring out their little hearts about how awful their childhood was, which is why they hate Donald Trump. It's quite extraordinary. Like it's, it's, Society has become a group therapy session, essentially. And, you know, we're supposed to talk about our problems now all the time. I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily a good idea. I think repressing some, some of your uh, innermost uh, bad feels is probably a good thing from time to time. Because it seems to me, the more people who are, uh, have been encouraged to talk about how depressed they are, how shitty their childhood was, how much they hate their parents, how much pain they had growing up, all of the awful things that they had to go through in life. It seems like the more that we encourage this behavior, the more and more people come out and say, well, I can't function anymore. Give me the therapy. Give me the drugs. By the way, you can't say or do anything that I find offensive because of what happened to me in my life. Everybody needs to walk. We need to pat everybody on the back and we need to walk around on eggshells because everybody's had a shitty life at some point. Everybody's got pain and we all need to talk about it all the time. So that's all we're talking about. Now we're wallowing in it constantly, constantly talking about how we feel oppressed, how we feel enraged, how we feel victimized over and over and over again. It just swirls around everyone. People get caught up in it. And then all of a sudden, that's all you're allowed to talk about. If you're having a good time telling a joke, you're now part of the problem, ladies and gentlemen. So a little bit of repression from time to time, I don't know, it might build character. How about that? It may build a little bit of character. Maybe not everybody wants to hear about your fucking shitty life either. Have you considered that? The Trumps and the Howes have something else in common besides their obvious pleasure in displaying their money. They love to talk about it. This trait makes me squirm even more than Trump's sticky name-calling cotton candy hair, and allegiance to the trinity of lowbrow entertainment forms, professional wrestling, reality television, and the beauty pageant. And we can add on to that, ladies and gentlemen, NASCAR. Woo! NASCAR Trump. How about that? The best thing I like about that is, you know how... If Trump doesn't do something that all the other politicians do, like say the press, you know, the press gala dinner, for example. So Trump doesn't do that, right? And every single year they accuse him, oh, he's breaking the norms. He's not carrying, he's not carrying on. He's not doing what all the other politicians did. I just wonder if Trump has now started a new tradition. Like he should go to the Daytona 500 every year for the rest of his presidency. Because if the next politician gets elected and is like a New York Yankee, is a Yankee Democrat, <laughs> they might be under pressure then to go to the NASCAR, which of course they will get summarily booed into fucking oblivion for attending. Like, has he now created a tradition that guarantees that the president who follows him from the Democrat side of the aisle is going to be, you know, hated across the board for attending the NASCAR? Why not? But I think the idea... 
uh, is that money is a personal matter, like hygiene. And talk of it reflects a materialism upon which God... So if <laughs> these people double back on themselves all the time. If hygiene is a strictly personal matter, then why does everybody need to talk about liberating the period? Why do we need to talk about period poverty if hygiene is strictly personal? Do you see what I'm getting at here? See, right now, on for the purpose of this paragraph in this article, hygiene is a strictly personal matter. Nobody should talk about personal hygiene. That's between you and your pharmacist and your bar of soap and your hygiene products. That's all that the only people that need to know. Coming up after the break, why everybody needs to be talking about my period and why there's no shame in talking about your period and everybody should be talking about their period all the time. Like, make a decision here. Which I hope it goes without saying is not remotely the same thing as implying that wasps are above materialism. Of course, wasps wasps can get away with insisting that talking about money is vulgar because they generally have enough of it. Bloody right, my my grandmother would have talked about the $54 she didn't have if she was in danger of losing her electricity because she couldn't pay her bill. There you have it. Low class. Donald Trump and the wasps. Reckoning with vulgarity, snobbery, and the presidency, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't know why I had this video queued up. I think this is uh, Nana Nancy Pelosi talking with Christiane Armanpour, who once upon a time was a very well-respected foreign correspondent. She would go to war zones and shit. And now, I think in her golden years, she's resigned herself to sitting in uh, what appears to be, you know, Uh, an 18th century mansion sitting room in the English countryside, um, talking to politicians and letting them have a free reign on just about anything that she says. So I don't know why Christiane's now taken this route, but once upon a time, she used to be something special in the world of journalism. Um, So here she is talking with Nancy Pelosi. I remember two different bits. So let's, let's just have a little listen to Nana Nance here on the Daily Boogie podcast. Gary Vance has got to run. He's got an appointment to get a pedicure. Don't know when they are open, This if they are open this late. Well, you go get them, Gary. You go get that pedicure, son. You go get that manicure and that pedicure. Um, because I know Gary is a red-blooded American and he's, ladies, he's looking for the fisting. So if anyone wants to help Gary out, follow Gary Vance on dlive.tv slash Gary Vance. He's going to be manicured and pedicured up so he's ready for what happens after the fisting. What about, though, the fact that the president seems liberated. Um, liberated. And this is about democratic politics, so I'm not asking you to criticize here. But he was acquitted. His poll ratings not, are high. It, it, there was no equipment. The you can have an acquittal. There was no equipment. <laughs> there was no equipment. Oh, he's got equipment. Looks like a mushroom, apparently. So we've been told. He was acquitted. His poll ratings are high. There was no equipment. There was no equipment. Have an acquittal unless you have a trial, and you can have a trial and have witnesses and documents. So he can say he's acquitted, and (laughs) he can say he's acquitted, but that doesn't mean anything. Headlines can say acquitted, but he's impeached forever. See, she's she's really hung up on that point. She really wants you to understand impeached forever impeached forever and we spoke about this on the show when it was going on these people are obsessed with legacy think about how long has nancy pelosi been in congress for is it was she there like in the early 90s 
So we're getting close to like three decades, right, that Nancy Pelosi has been in Congress. 30 fucking years. And if you, I like, be objective here. Forget about your party affiliations. Forget about your own internal biases. Forget about uh, which politicians you like and which politicians you don't like. Look at it purely objectively because maybe you know something that I don't. Maybe you've figured this out and I haven't. What has she got that she can pin her name to? What does Nancy Pelosi have in her 30 years in Congress that she can pin on the wall and say, I did this? Give me one thing. One long-lasting policy. One everlasting piece of legislation. One something for change. Karen's saying, I think, 44 years. 44 years. So let's say it is 44 years. I don't know. I thought it was about the... But she she can't claim Obamacare winning TV. It's not Pelosi care. Right? So that she doesn't get that one. That doesn't go on her legacy. She can't claim Obamacare as part of the Nancy Pelosi legacy. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be Pelosi care. You see my point? So what does she have in 44 years that she can put her name to? That will that that is something that's going to live on in the memory of voters for, for decades to come. One thing. I can't think of anything. I can't think of a single policy, a a single thing that she can put her name on as this was Nancy. Now, I think it's fair to say that Nancy Pelosi is toward the, she's closer to the end of her career than she is to the beginning. I think that's a fair statement. And I guarantee you the way these people think, she's thinking about her legacy what can I say I did when I leave? What can what will people remember me for? And if you don't think Donald Trump is worried about that, guess of course he is. Donald Trump wants to be remembered as well. They all do. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be doing this. They want to be remembered as having made a difference, right? As changing something. I made a difference. I made the world a better place. People will think of me as the guy or the woman who did X. So she's getting to the end of her career and she's got nothing for 44 years of toil. And that's why I think I'm like, that's, this is my genuine opinion. I think that's her motivation for constantly bringing up that talking point. He's impeached forever. It's permanent. It's because it's also, it's also um, on her name forever. But I don't think the history books are going to look back on Nancy Pelosi's legacy of impeaching Donald Trump fondly, like she imagines. I don't think that she's going to want her name on that in 10 years from now. Again, just a personal opinion. But she's got nothing else. This is it for her. This is the sum total of four decades worth of work. That she she failed, she impeached a president who was not kicked out of office. A failed impeachment impeachment attempt. That's all she has on her name. Like, what the fuck are we paying these people for? This is this is the same all over the world. This is the same the world over. 
The great illusion of politics, modern politics, ladies and gentlemen, is to appear to be doing something without actually doing something. And we all fall for it time after time after time after time. We're suckers. We love to be pandered to. We love to be lied to. Don't say just because you don't doesn't mean that most of your comrades don't uh, do. You know what I mean? Most people love to be pandered. Most people fall for the fish that are thrown to them. Most people fall for the scraps. Most people fall for the nice sounding things. You might not, but most people do. There's no the equipment. Senate. You can't have an acquittal unless you have a trial. And you can have a trial and you have witnesses and documents. So he can say he's acquitted and the headlines can say acquitted. But he's impeached forever, branded with that and not vindicated. And But, but see, you can say that. <laughs> you can say that. But he, he was acquitted. So Nancy Pelosi, like, she's trying to construct a reality. No, no, no. It doesn't matter because it wasn't a fair trial because there were no witnesses, blah, 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 blah. So you can say he was acquitted, but I'm not saying that. But the same thing applies to you, Nance. You can say that he wasn't acquitted. <laughs> it doesn't mean that people are going to fucking believe you. It doesn't mean that people are going to pay attention. It doesn't mean that it matters. The record books say that he was acquitted, whether you like it or not. She's accusing people of saying... Uh, that Donald Trump was acquitted when he was. And she's saying, no, that's not real. He wasn't acquitted because I say so. <laughs> so I just wanted to play this little bit here. I'll skip ahead. She's asked about who she thinks the next nominee will be, uh, who who she thinks, you know, how is the Democrat Party going right now in this nomination phase of the campaign? And she just let slip a little bit of strategy stuff, which I thought was interesting. I wanted to bring to you. She's just openly telling you what the plan is. She's openly telling you how they're going to go about it. I don't think it's going to be successful. But it's. I just found it interesting because rarely do you find uh, politicians openly talking about how they're going to present a kind of reality to the voters when that's not really their intention, which is exactly what she does here. Have a look at this. Chair, I've been chair of the platform committee. I've been chair of the delegate selection committee. I, all of these things before I ever uh, went to Congress, this platform was when I was in Congress. 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 And uh, again... The differences of opinion are what we are about. We're not a lockstep. Take it from the top down. This is what it's going to be. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. Come on now. Are you worried about the Corbyn effect? Are you worried that if a very, you know, left of the party, just like in Britain, uh, Jer Jeremy Corbyn took the party very far left and was cr crushed? In the election. Well, I, I don't. Uh, that's a, a different scenario. We're not a parliamentary party. But we have different uh, views in the party, and I. See, that's that's BS. It's true that they're not a parliament. It's not a parliamentary system in the United States, as it is in the UK, as it is in Australia, as it is in New Zealand, for example. That's true, but it's also true that those differences don't really matter if you're talking about perception in the in the mind of the voter. See, the perception in the mind of the voter is going to be in a lot of those swinging purple districts that flipped to the Democrats in 2018 in the House, right? Those people voted thinking that the person that they were sending to Washington was going to do what? Healthcare, 
right? Put more food on the table. Do something about local issues. That's what they ran on was local issues. They disassociated themselves from the DC brand of the DNC. They disassociated themselves from Nancy Pelosi on purpose. So they could say, hey, look, I'm I'm a good Democrat. I'm going to run on health care. I don't want to impeach the president. I'll work with Republicans to get stuff done for our local district. That was the messaging, and they won a hell of a lot of seats because of it. But three years, like two years after they won the House back, what's the perception now going to be? These very same congressmen and women who got elected to run on things like healthcare are now going back to their own town halls and they're getting screamed at by their own voters. And their own voters are saying, you know, we elected you to do something about healthcare. All you've been doing is talking about fucking impeachment for the last two years. All you've been talking about is Russia, impeachment, the Ukraine and Robert Mueller and Michael Cohen. That's all you've done. Why would we vote for you again? So Pelosi now finds herself trapped in this perception game, right? I don't think that she wanted impeachment. I was amazed that she went along with it, maybe because she thought she had to present a unified front. So she went along with it and gave them what they wanted. I don't know. I can't see any other reason, but I'm, I'm fucking damn sure that she did not want to go down this path. Because for all of her failings, I think that she's not stupid politically. You don't get to get to her position and be there as long as she has by being politically dumb. I think she's cunning as a shithouse rat, politically. So I think she knew that the impeachment thing was going to be, it was going to blow up in their face, which is why the day of the acquittal, she started tweeting about fucking healthcare again. Did you notice that? All of a sudden, we're back to healthcare. <laughs> Just like that. Like, like the impeachment thing never happened. Trying to reframe the discussion, right? So the perception in the mind of the voter is going to be that the far left fringe has taken over the Democrats and all they're talking about is impeachment and racism and, uh, you know, abortions for trans people and stuff. Rightly or wrongly. The Labor government in the Australian system uh, was handed an electoral wipeout because they made it about woke issues. They made it the woke election. They, never, they didn't lose one single opinion poll from the previous election four years earlier to the recent election that we just had, and they lost. They were in front in every single opinion poll, even on election day, and they lost. How? The Boris Johnson government in the UK, whilst being in front of Jeremy Corbyn as preferred PM, it was a lot closer it was like one or two points separating the two and they ended up having the worst electoral defeat that they've ever had in their history. Seats that have been held by uh, Labor Party members for a hundred years, ladies and gentlemen, lost, were flipped to the conservative side of the aisle because they made it about woke issues. There is a trend developing here, comrades. <laughs> you know, that it's a meme. Go, go uh, get woke, go broke, right? The same thing is applying here. She can't admit it. She knows it. She absolutely knows it, but she can't admit it. I think the, you know, the squad types in the Democrat Party for someone like Nancy Pelosi, for who for all intents and purposes, believe it or not, would be considered a moderate. She's pro-big business, right? 
She's she's not a communist. She might be progressive on social issues, but how much of that does she really believe in? I mean, she's fucking she's 80 years old. You know what I mean? She's not a woke 31-year-old. She's not a university student. She might say things to placate those kinds of people, but let's be fair here. She's probably a little old-fashioned old lady who thinks a lot of that stuff is probably nonsense, even though she's probably progressive on a whole bunch of social issues. She's very much, she's very much not a commie. But the communists, are, you know, the, the commie fringe, the hard left fringe, are now, they're now dictating the narrative for her. And she's struggling to keep it under wraps. She doesn't want she doesn't want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee. If Bernie Sanders becomes the nominee, then a lot of those big business, big money donors to the Democrat Party dry up overnight like that. So she wants somebody in there who's predictable, who will do what they're told, who will run a traditional campaign and try to limit the damage so they have a launching pad for four years from now. Somebody who's going to appeal to the big money donors, like the big business owners in California and New York, right? Bernie Sanders is not that guy. Sanders for uh, Nancy Pelosi would be a fucking nightmare. Having to cover off that, having to cover off that, you know, conversation curve constantly. Oh, no, we're not going too far left. We're not being too progressive. We're not going too socialist. No, no, no. Uh, we don't want that. You know, she, she would be constantly playing defense. She doesn't want to do that. Just remind uh, that as Speaker of the House, when I was leader, we had a very disciplined plan to win the Congress of the United States. It was mobilization on the ground. Don't yield one grain of sand to the other side. This is exactly what we were talking about on Trust and Verify during the uh, midterm campaigns, when a lot of people were saying, oh, red wave, red wave, it's going to be a landslide for the Republicans. You know, one little podcast that I'm on was going, oh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I think they're doing a pretty good job, the Democrats. I think they might even win the House back. Oh, bullshit, fuck, what do you know? Because they, they did run good campaigns. Uh, that as Speaker of the House, when I was leader, we had a very disciplined plan to win the Congress of the United States. It was mobilization on the ground. Don't yield one grain of sand to the other side for getting out the vote. M messaging, mainstream, right down the center with a progressive agenda, but not menacing agenda. <laughs> Hear that? Hear that? messaging mainstream right down the center will have a progressive agenda but not a menacing agenda you in other words to translate that we're going to say what we don't really mean we're going to present what we want as something mainstream and down the center that's going to be good for you but we're not going to we're not going to push progressive issues and far left issues down your throat right we might end up doing it. We might end up going that way in the long term, but we're not going to we're not going to sell that as our message. No, no, no. Our message is going to be nice and centrist and moderate and easy and down the middle and appeal to a, a wide range of voters, right? It's going to be inoffensive. So again, think of it. Healthcare. Oh, we just want better healthcare. Oh, families are struggling. We want we want good education. Like these empty, shallow, platitudinal type statements. 
she's telling you exactly how they won in 2018. So this this is sometimes this is why it's worth sometimes watching these interviews because these little nuggets like this. Gary Vance in the chat. She is admitting that they lie. Exactly. Uh, Real MAGA telling us all their tactical lies. Oh, 100%. And they don't... Nancy has, a, Nancy has a history of doing this, by the way. Of being, you know, this honest. Remember the wrap-up smear? She doesn't seem to have a problem with telling you what their, what their tactical position is. I'm amazed that most people aren't listening. I'm amazed that most people just write it off. Oh, fuck it. Who cares what she has to say? Well, she's, she's basically giving you her playbook. You know, if you were in a football game and the opposition quarterback came over and threw his playbook at your coach, do you think he would throw it back and say, I don't care what you've, I don't care what you've got written down here. I hate you. <laughs> of course not. They go, oh, yeah, thank you for that. I'll just take a little look, a little Bo Peep at what you're doing here. Mm, ah, right. Native California saying, yeah, right. It had nothing to do with the wide-scale voter fraud, but <laughs> I said it at the time. I think I was on Chris Mack's show that day and he said, yeah, what about the voter fraud? And I said, don't get your fucking hopes up about voter fraud. Like, do you think every single seat um, that was flipped from Republican to Democrat was down to voter fraud? Then you're not giving credit where it's due. Then you're not, you're not getting better, right? They had an investigation into voter fraud. A nation, remember, the Trump government, the federal government, ladies and gentlemen, had a nationwide investigation into voter fraud. Do you know what it turned up? It turned up like three Democrats in Texas, a couple of Democrats in California, and a few Republicans in places like South North Carolina. Now, that doesn't mean to say that it didn't happen, right? But I think just to say that it's all voter fraud is, is objectively untrue. It, it, it's, it's unrealistic, to say that it's all voter fraud because that's that's wiping your hands. That's So then you don't have to learn how they won seats. Then you don't have to learn how they campaigned. Then you don't have to study how they flip seats, right? If you just say, well, it's all voter fraud, then you can play the victim. You don't have to get better. You don't have to try, right? You can just say, well, there's nothing I can do. It's voter fraud. What are we going to do about it? So they had nationwide invest. Here's the other thing. This is why I said to Chris, said don't pin, don't pin your hopes on you know voter fraud investigations overturning elections you know why because when the government investigates itself seldom does the government find somebody to blame and you can say oh that's pessimistic that's blackpilled it's fucking reality whenever the government investigates itself like the government isn't going to investigate itself and then turn up and say, hey, we investigated ourselves and we found out we're corrupt assholes. Sorry about that. We're all going to prison now. <laughs> they don't do that. They don't do that. I know you didn't say it was all native California. A lot of people did, though. A lot of people were saying, oh, it was all voter fraud. <clears throat> but I think the, the accusations of voter fraud are overdone. But that's not to say that it doesn't happen, right? But again, after a nationwide investigation with a Trump, uh, you know, with Trump running, not Trump running, but a Trump presidency running the various departments and stuff. If after three years there was apparently, you know, nationwide voter fraud and the White House and the federal government couldn't find it, then 
Um, what are people putting their hopes in the federal government Ring for then? Ring the bell and get your cheese, what, man. What have you got to be optimistic about? Thank you for the subspace force, Joy. <clears throat> if after three years of overturning various positions in the federal government to then have obvi- apparently, allegedly obvious nationwide voter fraud, which cannot be found by a federal investigation, then what? Why the fuck do people think that the federal government is going to save them on various issues? Why do you think people are going to go to jail? You see how the two things don't marry up? So I'm actually giving you the optimistic view, which is that I don't think it was mostly voter fraud at all. Thank you, Space Force Droid, for the diamond. I'm giving you the optimistic view. I'm saying it it probably wasn't uh, mostly voter fraud at all. It was actually good campaigning that did it that flipped a lot of purple districts from blue to red. And if it's voter fraud, then you're probably never going to win them back. So I'm also giving you the optimistic view in saying that there was about 70 seats that are held on really, really, really small margins because Democrat candidates ran on moderate issues and local issues and things like healthcare, and they are now on the nose. They are tanking in the polls. And so people may be motivated to come out and vote and then flip those seats back because all they've been doing is talking about impeachment for the last two years. That's the optimistic view. If people take the view that, oh, it was all nationwide voter fraud, then why even fucking bother talking about politics anymore? Just give, You may as well give up, because it's all fraud, and the federal government can't find the voter fraud and isn't prosecuting anyone, so it's over then. You may as well stop trying. Thank you, Winning TV. Follow Winning TV, because I know uh, Phil and I have talked about this before, um, you know, off, off stream. We've talked about these kinds of issues before. Phil is uh, follow Winning TV, dlive.tv slash Winning TV. And I know he and I are on the same page with this, right? If you start falling back on excuses like voter fraud, then you're only going to lose. <laughs> it's only going to end one way. And, I, and to be fair, again, I just don't think that the evidence is there. But, you know, people, people will say what they say. Um, so while Nancy is trying to do her best to keep this about moderate issues and moderate platforms and things like healthcare and stuff. Let me show you what other Democrats are talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Let me show you what other Democrats think is the real issue. Do you remember we spoke about Cory Booker, Spartacus, as he's otherwise known? Dems good campaigning, Twilight Zone. Oh, no, it was very good. It was very good. I mean, if you don't believe me, go back and listen to some of those episodes of Trust and Verify, Iceman. I mean, we had Democrats who were local business leaders who have been business leaders in the community for the last 40 years, objectively capitalists who had military backgrounds, who were devout Christians running in areas where those kinds of things work, right? So they weren't, stu- they weren't stupid even with how they selected their candidates in pre-selection. They were very cunning, very smart. The thing that you have to understand, what the Democrats are very good at, they're far better than the Republicans. And this is not just Democrats and Republicans. This is a conservative left-wing thing. The left is far better at local politics than the right is. The right focuses on the big game and the big ticket and the federal elections and getting the prime minister and getting the presidency and getting the governor. The left is very good at when they lose those things, they just switch and they go bang, straight back into local politics and they go from the ground up. Why? Because if you can get the legislature underneath the governor to vote to be Democrat, then the governor is effectively useless. 
if you can get the per- the people under the president to be Democrats, then the president is useless, right? And if the president is useless, then you can kick him out because you can accuse him of being useless at the next election, put in a Democrat, and then you've got all the cards stacked up beneath them. So they're very good at stuff like that. They know where to focus their energy, where it's worth. They don't waste time focusing on bad areas, generally speaking. I've, I've said this story before. I was watching an interview with a guy named David Horowitz, who's... Uh, who is a, a Jewish author who was once um, part of the like the revolutionary communist party in the United States. He grew up a communist. His parents were communists and he's now like a firebrand conservative, right? And he was working, he was the bookkeeper for the Black Panthers at one stage, believe it or not. And so he had like his, he had his on the road to Damascus kind of moment. He had his come to Jesus moment where he realized that all of the things that he believed you know, in his early life was all lies and it was all bullshit and it was all terrible and it was all made to, you know, destroy the country basically. And he couldn't be a part of it anymore. So he switched sides and he became an activist for the for the conservative side of the party. And he was telling this story in this interview and he said, you know, he sat down and he was with these other conservative, um, you know, organizers and volunteers and stuff. And he said, where's our ground game? Like it was before an election. Where's our ground game? And they looked at him and laughed and said, what do you mean ground game? And he's like, well, where are our organizers? Where are, where are our activists? Where are our agitators? Where are our people that make signs? Where are our door knockers? Where are our pamphlet you know, makers? Where are they? And they laughed at him and said, we don't have that. <clears throat> we don't have a ground game, David. They said, our voters are not angry, you know, sort of 20-year-old university-age Marxists. Our voters are, you know, people, middle-aged people who live, you know, in flyover country who just want to go to work, pay their taxes and, you know, sleep in on Sunday. They're not motivated to march in the streets. Like they're individualists. So they just want to, they want, how do you motivate people to care about government when their whole ideological uh, foundation is based on the fact that they don't need the government? right? How do you get people who are ideologically opposed to the idea of government excited about government? It's always been the problem. The left doesn't have that problem because they see the government as the solution to everything. But the, the right certainly has that problem when you're trying to motivate people to get involved in elections because the right sees the government as the cause of all the problems. So how do you get people who see government as the cause of all the problems to lobby on behalf of government? It's very difficult. They just don't care. They don't want to know. So, you know, um, if you don't think they ran good campaigns and got people who aren't fans of big government or whatever you want to call it, uh, who they got people like in the middle, the swinging voters to vote for a Democrat in purple districts, then... I don't know what to tell you. Nancy's telling you herself that's what they did. <laughs> She's saying we we framed everything straight down the middle, mainstream, um, you know, a progressive agenda, but not uh, an aggressive agenda or whatever she used. You know, not over-the-top progressivism. And that's exactly what they did, and it worked. But the perception game's going to get them in 2020, I suspect, when a lot of the people who gave them that vote of confidence in 2018 to run on things like healthcare 
uh, discover that they've only been talking about impeachment for the last two years. And I suspect that the Republicans' campaign strategy is going to be about impeachment. That this is all that they've done. This is all they care about. They only care about because they're radicals, right? So what do some people think is the big issue in politics right now? We spoke about Cory Booker when he was running. Remember when Kamala Harris dropped out of the race and Cory Booker got angry at Democrat voters? He said this on TV, that he was angry because Democrat voters were choosing too many white people. He accused his own constituents of being racist, ladies and gentlemen, because a woman of colour didn't have the support to stay in the race. And then he amazingly dropped out only a couple of weeks later. I, I don't know why he, he thought that uh, getting angry at his own voters and accusing them of being racist dogs was going to make him more popular. I don't know why he thought that. But anyway, so this is the, the real big issue that some people see with Democrat politics right now. Are we going to hear the names and lives of undocumented immigrants who were at the border or, you know, black trans women who have been murdered? Like those conversations tend to go away when <laughs> you, you've got a stage of 77 year old white men who are trying to make the case for themselves. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. You see, you see, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the issue of undocumented migrants and their voices not being heard is all due to the fact that there is a 77-year-old white man on the stage running for the nomination of the Democrat Party. But they know, they know that if one of their can if one of their candidates just ran, say, on undocumented migrants and trans issues and all of the little niche issues that that person would have a snowflakes chance in fucking hell of winning the election. It's always the way, isn't it, to... They diagnose the problem. It's always a superficial diagnosis, you see. Because I put it to you that Corey can't admit that most Democrat voters don't care about diversity as much as he needs them to think, as much as he needs them to. Like, this is the this is the 10,000-pound gorilla sitting in the corner of the room that everybody's trying to ignore. The reality is, if you look at the candidates and who's popular, the, re, the, the, the base reality is that most Democrats do not care about diversity. They care about other issues. Now, the framing is that they're all crazy about diversity and they're all crazy about tolerance and they're all crazy about trans issues and they're all crazy about undocumented migrants. But it's not its not real. That's framing for, you know, election's sake. That's, that's politics, right? Always trying to frame your opponent in the worst possible way. But it's not real. <laughs> if it were real, then the top, you know, three or four candidates wouldn't be white men. It would be other people. But it's not. But they can't admit that because the second that they come out and admit that Democrats don't care that much about diversity politics and identity politics as they think they do, as the politicians think they do, then they have to come out and admit that their whole platform is a sham. And they can't do that. It's too late for that now. So how do you get around it? Well, you blame the fact that there are white men on the stage for people not caring about diversity. 
even though the option is there to vote for whoever they want, you blame the fact that the, the top ones are, you see, it's ass backwards. You blame the fact that the top candidates are white men. That's the reason that uh, nobody's talking about diversity instead of the reality, which is nobody's talking about diversity, which means the top candidates are white men. <laughs> the presidential race's diversity problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. See, here you were thinking things like illegal immigration is a problem, high taxation is a problem, healthcare is a problem, uh, industrial you know, jobs is a problem, you know, returning to work is a problem, disability payments is a problem. Whatever other problem you thought you had, guess again, the real problem is diversity. <laughs> again, you'd have to, you have to wonder why. Why is it that most Democrats don't care about diversity? Oh, I don't know. Because they get told by the corporate media, the intellectuals and the politicians that it's the only thing that they care about. And they accuse people of not listening to voters. <laughs> What started as a diverse pool of candidates has dwindled down to on a debate stage that lacks racial diversity. Problem with the representation of underrepresented minorities on the debate stage has to do with some of the rules that have been implemented. Uh, the first is money that's raised, and yep. the second is how you do in polling. Harris, how you do in polling, because that's what they were saying. Oh, the system for keeping people off the debate stage is is designed to keep black people off the debate stage. It's like, no, no, no. It's designed to keep unpopular people off the debate stage. It's designed to keep people who nobody cares about and nobody wants to vote for off the debate stage. That's what it's designed for. <laughs> and Booker and Castro did well. No, but- they did. no, 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 no. They didn't. They didn't do well. If Kamala Harris and Booker and Castro had have done well, they would have been on the debate stage. <laughs> Their polling numbers would have been higher. They would have raised more money, but they didn't. They did really well, but they weren't there because they're black. No, because nobody wanted to fucking vote for them. That's why they weren't there. The vast majority of people who have been donating to political campaigns, especially presidential campaigns, tend to be white and they tend to be wealthy. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start with this. <laughs> Listen again. Harris and Booker and Castro did well, but the vast majority of people who have been donating to political campaigns, especially presidential campaigns, tend to be white and they tend to be wealthy. They tend to be white and they tend to be wealthy. I'm sorry. Hello. Hello. Uh, is this thing on? Can you hear me? Um, yes. Are you talking about the capitalists? Are you talking about those awful, disgusting capitalist business owners? It's just, it's just, it's just adorable, isn't it? Those awful, disgusting capitalist white business owners who do, who donate to the Democrat Party. How dare they? It's disgusting. It's racist. Yes. 
Political donations are racist, ladies and gentlemen. And they tend to support white candidates. See, see the lengths that we will go to in order to keep the fantasy alive that, yes, everybody in the Democrat Party really cares about diversity, guys. It's the most important thing. They, in order to construct this alternate reality, they need to now, they're now going to the point of saying campaign donations are racist. It's extraordinary. Financially. And we know that because of certain historical inequities, Black and Latinx and Asian communities just don't have the same type of capital. Like we Jesus just don't have the same number Christ. of millionaires and billionaires. Obama won the last presidency, you tit! It's it's like Obama never fucking happened. It's 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 like it's like four years ago may as well be fucking four thousand years ago now. Wait wait, wasn't your last pre- wasn't literally your last president a black guy? What the fuck are you talking about, man? Oh no, you see historical right ra- historical racism racism that's been here forever. Historical inequities prevent people of colour from raising enough money and being able to win the presidency. Are you fucking kidding me? You just had one. You literally just had one. Oh, no. It's because of the bias and the inequities that have always existed in this disgusting racist republic, which means uh, you just can't raise enough money if you're a black guy. I'm fucking sorry. <laughs> Wasn't he just in there for eight fucking years? It's incredible. It's it's like a false it's like a false infect in invented amnesia that's taking place. Selective amnesia. Staggering. Um, I want to show you this too, Fareed Zakaria, who I think sometimes gets stuff right and then sometimes gets stuff wrong and then sometimes is a little bit in between. He's he's not the worst on CNN by any stretch of the imagination. Doesn't mean I agree with him all the time. Same with Jake Tapper. I don't actually really mind Jake Tapper that much. Jake Tapper to me can be pretty hard on Democrats when he wants to be and he can get stuff right from time to time. So Tapper and Zakaria I don't think are too bad. So this is Fareed Zakaria's take from a couple of weeks ago. What Democrats need a candidate who can do this. This is what the video is called. Let's see. Let's see if there are any uh, pearls of wisdom that Fareed can impart on us, the eager audience. Here's my take. After the debacle of the Iowa caucuses, the old quip attributed to Will Rogers seems just right. I'm not a member of any organized political party. He's supposed to have said, I'm a Democrat. Actually, that broad-based democratic coalition used to be one of the party's strengths, encompassing Southern segregationists, working-class union members, and Northern liberals. Today's coalition is much less ideologically diverse, but the central challenge remains to bring it together and energize voters. The most worrying news out of Iowa for Democrats is that the voter turnout was far below that of 2008. Voter turnout is something that voters don't really talk about that much, but it's something that uh, political number crunchers talk about a lot. A lot. Voter turnout is a big, big, big indicator of your chances, right? 
And I was speaking to a couple of Democrats in private uh, during the Iowa caucus, and a couple of them said to me, no, it's over. We're done. We're fucked. I said, ah, come on, man. It's the caucus. Who gives a fuck? Like, it's it's a wide field. There's a lot of internal fighting. They'll they'll probably unify towards the end. They always find a way to, you know, not completely fall apart. It's probably not as bad as you think. And they were saying, no, you should have said, like, the numbers, the turnout is, like, record lows. We are completely fucked. And I was like, oh, well, shit, you shit a brick. (laughs) Oh, well, stiff shit. (laughs) But that's what they were saying to me. Democrats, like, on the ground who care about, you know, the Democrat Party were saying, we're fucked. We're screwed. They probably won't say the same thing publicly, but they were definitely saying it privately. Barack Obama brought people out in record numbers. The 2020 turnout looks a lot like... Barack Obama, 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 Barack Obama. (laughs) I don't know why I slipped into Brooklyn then for Barack. Yeah, you know that Barack Obama guy, huh? This fucking, this fucking Muliana, this fucking Obama guy. There was like record numbers coming out for this fucking prick. This lanky fucking prick over here. (laughs) Barack Obama. Record numbers for Barack Obama, but we just heard that they can't motivate people. They can't get voters. They can't raise money. They can't do anything, these minority candidates, because the system is rigged. It's racist. It's wrong because of historical inequities, historical biases. It's not possible. Back in 2008, Barack Obama had record numbers of turnout. Oh, oh, oh. I guess guess that, that page of the historical inequities book must be thrown into the fireplace then. And we must never speak of it again. 2016, not a year to emulate. Many Democrats have pinned their hopes for energy and enthusiasm on opposition to Donald Trump to galvanize Mm. the party. Mm. I would suggest that that negative energy is not going to be enough. He's not not wrong, is he? He's not wrong. See, it's it's difficult for people like Fareed. It's tif- it's difficult. Tif- Why do I keep saying difficult? <laughs> it's difficult for people like Fareed Zakaria because I I guarantee you he'd like to say something a lot more. You know, he'd like to cut closer to the bone. I think. I think he'd like to say something to the effect of "You're being fucking idiots. You're losing this. You're doing it wrong, right?" Stop fucking around. Like some Democrats do. Some Democrats have come out and said, you're losing this. Stop fucking around. You're doing it wrong. Get back to core issues. Get back to the working class voters, right? But if you do that now, because the party is so ideologically skewed to the hard left, you will then become a pariah. It's like we spoke about last week. The same effect is happening to the hardcore MAGA people. If you skew off from the accepted train of thought like a little too far, you will be excommunicated from the community. You're kicked out. You're, you are, you're a traitor now. You're a fake mega traitor. Fuck that guy. It's, they've become the exact same thing that they fucking hate, a lot of these people. So I'm sure Fareed would like to say, you're fucking it up. Just get back to core values, middle class aspirational messaging, center of the road, middle of the line, like Pelosi was just, like Pelosi was just talking about. But of course, if you say something like that, uh, then you know you don't. You're not a believer anymore. Then he will become a corporate shill for the establishment, and he will be excommunicated. It's just the way it goes. 
Pete Buttigieg has pointed out. Every time Democrats have succeeded in the last 50 years, it's been with a new generation figure who's not been marinating in Washington for a long time. Every time we've tried to go with the kind of safe, established, been here for a long time kind of figure, we have come up short. And, you know, I think Pete Buttigieg is essentially a puppet for the establishment. Don't get me wrong. I think that's plainly obvious. And I think he's being groomed for this. Um, but that that statement there, he's not wrong. That's not a lie. <laughs> like he's trying to do the Obama, Pete Buttigieg. He's trying to be the guy with no no baggage in Washington and a low profile that's hard to hit, right? And come up from behind, pardon the pun. Now come up from behind and nobody sees you coming. It's a reasonable conclusion. Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton and Obama all won. Hubert Humphrey, McGovern, Mondale, Gore, Kerry, and Hillary Clinton lost. Dukakis, by the way, was an outsider who lost, <clears throat> suggesting that it is a necessary but not sufficient condition. The pattern also speaks to something distinctive about the party. As the saying goes, Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. The Republican Party remains a somewhat <clears throat> disciplined group of people focused on winning. Consider 2016, when almost all the candidates running against Trump believed, in Lindsey Graham's words, that if Trump were the nominee, he would, quote, destroy the party, unquote. But once Trump was nominated, the party got squarely behind him, and today he enjoys a 94% approval rating among Republicans. So he gets it. He gets it. Like, the way he's presenting it is a little bit snide and a little bit snarky, and I think doesn't, you know, really do justice to... Because I think there is a fair amount of independent thought. Like, I I know that you know, I've spoken to a range of Republican voters over the last few years of doing this, and they all have very different opinions on very different topics. But again, like, that's my concern that that started to change and it started to become more of a, an SJW-minded, like, movement of late, being that if you don't agree with Donald Trump 100% of the time, then, you know, you're a piece of shit. Like, that, that's that's a problem. But it's not for me to say you can do whatever the fuck you want. But um, you, you, that's not how you win support, right? You win support by uh, being open and having like the broad tent theory, the broad. Ronald Reagan did this. That's how he got elected, right? He said, let's bring together all of these disparate people who have very different ideas on how we should govern and what we should do and what policies we should have, but understand that they believe in a core set of uh, principles that are un- non-negotiable. So if you can, if you want, and within that like framework, then we'll have a discussion. And what happened? Ronald Reagan won forty nine fucking states. So that's that. That's a proven successful way to go about it. The other way is to say that you need to be on board with whatever the agenda is one hundred percent of the time. And if you're not on board with the agenda one hundred percent of the time, then fuck you. That doesn't work because that's what happens to Democrats like Hillary Clinton. That's why, you know, all of the people in the Democrat Party who supported uh, Bernie Sanders or other candidates in that 2016 election did not turn out and vote for Hillary Clinton because of that. Because if you didn't like Hillary, you were a sexist, you were a misogynist, you were disgusting, you were a bigot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what happens. People say, oh, well, fuck you then. Fuck that guy. Democrats, however, do need to fall in love. They need someone to energize them, to come out in droves. And that person has to feel like a transformative figure, someone who represents a new generation or a new way of thinking. 
The problem with Buttigieg's argument is not that he's wrong about the history, but that his own candidacy, while remarkable and refreshing, seems to mostly inspire older, whiter Democrats rather than younger and more diverse ones. <laughs> Even Buttigieg is a racist. <laughs> you see, there, there is such an ideological purity test put on these people. It just becomes absurd. They have become a parody of themselves, a satire of themselves. The person most attractive to young Democrats remains Bernie Sanders. And the problem with Bernie Sanders is obvious. The country is not nearly as left-wing as he is. It's easy to get seduced by the idea that he represents a new wave. Yes, Ben, like McAfee, exactly. McAfee, America great again. That's why we support, that's why we endorse John McAfee here on this program. Because he's the only candidate. You know, people can get people can be divided over a range of issues. People can be divided over race, gender, uh, you know, class. But the one thing that we can all agree on, the thing that you can unite, unite us all is that we are all in favour of anal fisting. I think anyway. Dave, John McAfee recognises the power of anal fisting. That young people are more open to his ideas, that we're entering a new world in which far left ideas once considered unthinkable are now part of mainstream conversation. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that they're popular. That same argument was made by Jeremy Corbyn and his supporters in the last British elections. And the party suffered its worst electoral defeat since 1935. See? He gets it. He gets it. And to be fair to Nancy Pelosi, I think she gets it too. We certainly get it here on this program because this is what we were fucking talking about at the time. The Australian election was the woke election. They lost. The UK election was the woke election. They lost. And a whole bunch of people on the Democrat side of the aisle want this to be the woke election again. And they don't realise that they're going to lose. And if if anybody comes to them and says that their ideas are not popular enough to win a popular election, if it's not popular, if their ideas are so unfathomable to the majority of voters that they can it can only end in defeat, what do they do? They fall back on their default programming. And they say, well, that's because your attitudes are wrong. That's because you have biases because there's only white Democrats on the debate stage because the system is racist. So they probably won't learn. It probably won't change a thing. Uh, let's end with the lighter side, ladies and gentlemen. Like you, like I said, uh, it's, it's been a very sexually orientated show tonight. So I want to bring you this story. Uh, since we're getting fucked by politicians... Um, this is something that I only found sort of 20 minutes before I went live today. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to the Daily Boogie podcast. Uh, let's see what you think of this. It's a porn stunt apparently meant to get clicks, but it's provoking outrage. The video shows a woman exposing herself on Santa Monica streets. Bernie protester. By the way, can I just point this out to anybody who didn't see my tweet on Twitter? Um, I laughed and laughed and laughed. Because I remembered, so I saw the video of the Bernie protesters, uh, tits out for the boys, happy days, who gives a fuck. Um, so two weeks ago, three weeks ago, my my timeline on Twitter was filled with conservative outrage. And I don't care who this annoys. Uh, from my perspective, conservative outrage is, more, is far more cringe than lefty outrage. You know why? Because lefty outrage, they don't 
pretend like they're not snowflakes. They don't pretend like they're not offended by everything. They admit that they're snowflakes. They admit that they're uh, offended by everything. Conservative outrage is more cringe because right now the conservatives like to pretend that they're not outraged by stuff, that they're not offended, that they're not easily offended. But then, you know, J-Lo can dance and shake her ass and put her hand a little too close to her vagina. And next thing you know, they're sending our children to hell. They're sending Oh, my God. They can't be allowed. Why are they doing this? At least the SJWs know that they're offended by stuff and they know that they're easily offended. There's nothing more cringe than somebody who says, yeah, look at those, look at those cucks over there, those easily offended cucks over there, huh? You just say one little thing about immigration and they lose their fucking minds, huh? You're getting melted, you snowflake, you libtard snowflake, huh? 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 And then a woman dances on a stage, shakes her ass a bit and puts a hand near her crotch. Oh my God, I can't Why are they doing this? Won't somebody please think of the children? <laughs> All week this shit was fucking filling up my timeline, man. I was like, oh, God. People like you make it far harder to convince younger people that uh, conservatism is the way to go. You make it more difficult with your pearl clutching and your phony tears and your faux outrage. People like young people look at people like you and go, look at these fucking maniacs. Sorry. (laughs) It's a reality. Oh, you fucking dancing. So that was going on for a week. And then I wake up yesterday and I'm at work and I'm looking at Twitter and fuck me dead if I'm lying, the exact same people are now sharing the video of the topless Bernie protesters. Uh, (laughs) Look at the titties. Look, come and look at the titties. Look, look, look. The Bernie protesters have their tits out. I'm going to retweet this. Look at these tits, man. Thank you for the diamond, Kimmy. Look, look, come everybody. Come, come. Look at the topless women. Oh my God, isn't it funny? <laughs> look at the titties at the Bernie, Bernie protester. The same people who were crying about fucking Jennifer Lopez's dancing. It's fucking mindless. So that's why conservative outrage is far more cringe than S. I can deal with SJW cringe. You know that SJWs are going to be uh, offended by everything because that's what SJWs fucking do. They don't pretend to not be outraged. They don't pretend to not get offended. Conservatives pretend like they don't get offended by stuff and then fucking fall off the deep end when a Latin woman shakes her ass at the Super Bowl. And then they're sharing the fucking topless protesters. Give me a break. <laughs> thank, you for the, thank you for the diamond space force droid. Oh, my God, we can't look at Jennifer Lopez shaking her ass. It's too offensive. They're, they're literally sending our kids to hell. One, one guy on his show was going to sue the NFL for damning him to hell for, because he saw that performance. <laughs> Thank you for the diamond, Gypsy. And I bet I guarantee you that same guy is now retweeting the shit out of the topless Bernie protesters going, hey, everybody, son, son, come in the room. Uh, am I allowed to watch NFL again? No, that's satanic. You're not allowed to watch NFL. You're not allowed to watch J-Lo shaking her ass. That's going to send you to hell. That's going to give you impure thoughts. Come and look at these topless communists. <laughs> <laughs>
Come and look at these topless communist protesters shaking their titties around on stage. Hey, look at this, son. Look at this, huh? Huh? What do you think of that? <laughs> Fucking garbage. Thank you, Gypsy. <laughs> Where did you steal the diamond, Gypsy? Even outside John Muir Elementary, then carrying out sex acts inside the Ocean Park Library. Okay. Now, did Pornhub get approval from the city library to film sex acts in the city library? I think probably not. I think probably not. Like, so if you want to get offended by something, get offended by this, right? God forbid a child walked in the library and walked right in on the middle of it. That's that's my biggest concern. Well, to be fair, it is worse than dancing at the Super Bowl. But isn't that, is it, I mean, they're going to have to learn about sex sometime, right? <laughs> uh, library is a place of learning. And you see, we call this teabagging. Oh, 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 nice. Uh, now, you see what the uh, young lady is doing to the library employee. That apparently causes mouth cancer. Oh, oh very interesting. Um, I, I haven't had a reason. It, it, it's, I think it's a good idea to get kids back to the library. Because <laughs> the libraries are dying. You know that? Because all of the stuff that you can find in a library, you can get with one click on the internet now. So there's no reason to go there and they've got that referencing system that you need to know. You need to know how to read fucking ancient hieroglyphics in order to figure out where the books are on the shelf. So now we have live sex education at the library. Beautiful. The kids, the kid, the 15-year-old boys will be lining up around the block <laughs> to see they, how people get cancer. You know, children don't need to be exposed to this. If, no. If you want to do porn... Stick to the hotels. Neighbor Janet McLaughlin was so disgusted after another concerned parent sent her this link that she took to social media to get the city's attention. So the phone's in my pocket, guys. The phone is in my pocket. I'm just. It's in Santa Monica. It's on the Santa Monica Boulevard. Who would have thought? <laughs> to get by security yet. Take a look. The woman in the video walks into the library, apparently during business hours, and shoots... Oh, I'm glad that she didn't break in. <laughs> when else would she walk into the fucking library? The woman walked into the open door of the library during business hours. She didn't walk into the open door of the library at one o'clock in the fucking morning. She didn't jimmy the window open. The video, all while talking about not getting caught. We couldn't reach city leaders on a weekend, but McLaughlin says they're well aware of this video. They say that it's a misdemeanor, and unless they witness it themselves, there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> the video was uploaded to a porn site that pays per click. The man in the video's face is never shown, uh. and we're not... <laughs> no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> Damn it, they outed me. How could you? The man's face was never shown. He does a podcast Monday through Wednesday. <laughs> there you have it. So, I mean, you know, I, that's off, that kind of stuff. Like, because apparently there were kids in the library and shit. But, you know, if you, <laughs> it's one hell of an advertising campaign, I think. And this is why we need people like John McAfee to run for the presidency in 2020, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's about all the time we've got for for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll be back tomorrow night with another edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. Um, and I have to I have to run right now because I have to do some research for the show and find out 
What is it? Santa Monica Public Library Sex X Public Library. Okay, got it. All right, so I'll be back tomorrow night at 6 p.m. I have to go and do some research. Heavy, in-depth research now. And <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everybody who contributed to the show on dlive.tv slash Bumper. As always, your contributions are most humbly accepted and probably unearned. Uh, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, thank you to our Patreons, patreon.com slash Bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to send me some tips about what goes on at your public library, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Please don't forget to follow our friends at RealPersonPLTCS, at ChrisMC44, at YCensored, WinningTV, DLive.TV slash WinningTV. You've also got UK Neil, uh, Mr. America, The Beard of Truth, some other guys, Joy of Pessy, Irrational Times. Thank you so much for joining us. Until tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Opening the chest right now.